25 years on the PGA Tour and a lifetime member of the PGA Tour and PGA of America. Jay Delsing brings you his perspective on one of the world's greatest games as a professional golfer and network broadcaster. It's the game that connects the pros and the average Joes. Brought to you by Whitmore Country Club. Golf with Jay Delsing is now on 101 ESPN. Good morning. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. I got my buddy, longtime friend and caddy, Pearly here. Pearly, good morning. Good morning. Let's get her going. This show is formatted like a round of golf. The first segment is called On the Range. Uh, please look for our social media outlets. Pearly, why don't you take over and tell them what our social media outlets are this morning? Because I know you love social media. Let's see. What have we got here? Uh, social media Twitter is at Jay Delsing. FB is... That's Facebook, Facebook. Pearly. <laughs> is, is, is Golf with Jay Delsing and Jay Delsing Golf. LinkedIn is Jay Delsing, and Instagram is dot, 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 dot. We're good. Man, I, I love, you know, not knowing what FB was. That's beautiful. Um, this is kind of neat. Pearly, you realize this is our 52nd no, show? I cannot believe it. 52, after today, 52 in the books. They got a lot faster after the first couple. <laughs> the first couple were, we're trudging, a, tad, a tad slow, weren't they, Pearl? We're drudging through mud backwards oh man so what we've done and i hope i i i'm i'm hoping the folks will love it we have picked out three um it was so hard to pick out three of our best interviews it was not hard at least in my opinion to pick out our best whack and chase no so we've got a great <laughs> whack and chase for you but we're going to pick out three of our best interviews we've got a, a an interview from brett hall we got an interview from chris carpenter and an interview from tony Larusa that we are going to air today on the show and we are going to try to stay out of it. Other than that, that'll make it better right off the bat. I think our show just went way up in the ratings. So let's just go uh, straight to a portion of the Brett Hall interview. I was watching last night on YouTube. I watched you score the winning goal against Dominic Hasek, who kind of looked like an octopus the way he played goal back there. You know, he just kind of sprawled. But but his pads look like shin guards compared to what the guys are wearing in the NHL now. Well, they were, uh, you know, they were smaller, but, uh, and, and the, the goalies equipment got really carried away for a number of years, uh, uh, in the late nineties and, and the early two thousands, uh, the league has kind of put a clamp down on that. Uh, I'm not saying that they still don't cheat. And I'm a firm believer of if you're not cheating, you're not trying, uh, when it comes to things like that. But, um, you know, it's, I don't think. They're, they're so much bigger now, except for they kind of have to be because the goalies are six foot five. And, and you know, you've got to put on pads that are relative to their length. And, and it, they just look really big. And, uh, but the, I think the league's doing a pretty good job of, of uh, curtailing the size of the equipment. And I kind of actually sometimes feel bad for the goalies because they're, they're getting their equipment smaller and the, uh, the sticks and the curves that the the players are allowed to use uh, are they, they are it's I kind of like a, you, you relate it to golf you know the the ball just keeps going farther and farther with this new technology and the the shots keep getting harder and harder with the new technology of the hockey stick. Yeah, Holly, those sticks make a big difference, don't they? It's almost like the drivers, you know, that we use now, these 480cc drivers. It's got a sweet spot, you know, the size of a quarter. And back in the day, we're playing with a wooden-headed driver, and the sweet spot's the size of a pinhead. And if you hit it off the heel, it goes about a third of the distance it's supposed to. Exactly, because I remember when I first started playing golf, uh, uh, I was using persimmon. And I, I swear to God, they kept selling me that one that didn't have a sweet spot. <laughs> I had a plenty. Holly, this is a cool transition. So how old were you when you started playing the game? How did you get in, involved in the game? And just for the for the listeners that don't know, Brett is one of the best athletes, former athletes, superstar athletes in his game that's come over and, and, and played golf. And one of the, the best players. I mean, Holly, what are, you, are you a scratch handicap? You might even be plus. It's not that important, but... Man, you hit the ball well, and I know that you just love the game. Oh, I do. I love it. And uh, well, I'm a one handicap right now, and uh, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of think the, you know, if I don't know a guy, I'm not going to play him for money because you know they've got those apps on the phone, the Gin app, and 
you know, you, you can be having lunch with your wife and, and just click on that thing and just say you shot 80 at some course. I mean, it's, uh, you, you know, there's no proof that, you know, what you shot or, or verification. So, uh, you know, I, I would say about 90% of everyone's handicap out there is, is bogus. So uh, by at least a couple of shots. But uh, I got into golf uh, the summer of my freshman year in Duluth, Minnesota, uh, my roommates, I uh, asked them what they were doing. They said, oh, we're going to go golfing. And I just said, well, you mind if I tag along? And, and one of our roommates actually was from Duluth who played uh, with us at the hockey team. And so we went over and grabbed a set of his dad's clubs, and we went to Anger Park Golf Course in Duluth. And uh, from that second, I was hooked. Kelly, that's what I was going to ask you, because I, I was talking to a Brad Barnes meet here is, is working the board for us, and he's just getting involved in the game, and we were we were talking about, I can remember, Holly, hitting this one shot. I guess I was like 13 or 12 or 13, whatever, and it, it was like, oh, my gosh, I got to do that again. How the hell did I do that, and how can I do that again? <laughs> and it just had me, and all I could think about was trying to do that again. Oh, that's absolutely the way it is. You hit that one, and the ball goes. It goes exactly where you're looking, and you you didn't even feel like you hit it. It, it, it. You hit it so perfectly in that sweet spot, and you know you you took the perfect amount of divot, and it, everything was just you know it, it's like heavenly. If you see angels when that happens, and you're right, you're going oh, what if I, and I still say it to this day. I go. Oh, if I could just bottle that swing, I'd be uh, I'd be on the senior tour. Oh my gosh, that is so that is so true, and those those feelings. I think that's the thing that keeps bringing us back. Oh, there's no question because you you can't conquer the game. You know wh- whether whether it's because you woke up with uh, you know maybe you slept wrong, and now that day it's like oh I just can't find my swing or I just can't loosen up, and and you've got to fight every day to find a way to get that little ball in the hole, uh, you know, or maybe you went out and uh, you and the boys got into a couple of cold ones and you wake up in the morning and you feel like, uh, uh, you feel like hell. And, and let me tell you, that's the, you know, I, I would imagine if, if you wanted to uh, create a program to have someone um, stop drinking, it would be uh, tell them that, you know, they're going to play professional golf and have to earn their money that way. And they'll stop real soon because you cannot play golf and drink if if you want to make money. No, no. And, you know, you learn that the hard way playing on tour, you know, because you get so many opportunities. And I grew up in the same area you did. My dad played professional baseball and, you know, drank beer after every game. And that's kind of what it was like. And you 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 wake up that morning and you're looking down at a couple different balls and um, you're not sure which one to hit and your your hands are shaking over that four foot putt. You're like, boy, I don't think this is a good formula to try to try to beat the best players in the world. Yeah, when the greens are rolling about 13 and it's downhill, it's like, oh boy. Yeah, that's that's really so. Holly, I, did did you have a mental uh, type of preparation that you did when you played hockey and you played it at such a high level? Um, and and compare that a little bit to golf because I I, I want to get uh, on the show great athletes like you that also love the game and where is that you know obviously the game is filling that that adrenaline and and that that competitive Jones for you a little bit but I want to hear it more in your words you know what what's it like and and are there similarities? Well, they're, they're, it's twofold. Um, there's the pr- the preparation, and then there's uh, you know the the actual what do you do to become better at your craft. So, you know, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's similar. Well, I guess it could be too, but you know, when I for me in hockey, there was this innate fear I had inside of me that I was never going to score a goal again. And so that drove me to figure out how am I going to score every game? Because that's my job. Um, you know, and if I don't score, and people used to really misunderstand me when we'd lose uh, or win two to one, and, and I'd be pissed off, not for any other reason after the game, because, you know, well, if I get a goal or if I get two goals, well, that 2-1 game becomes now 4-1, 
and it, it's a much easier game on everyone from the coaches to our teammates, you know, to those guys out there at the end of the game, trying to hold off them when they've got the empty net and the extra attacker out there. Well, if I would have done a better job scoring goals, well, they wouldn't have had to been so, you know, working so hard at the end of the game. And people never understood that. It was like, I was extremely happy we won the game, but, but I could have made it easier. Yeah, you, you know, see, or, you you see what your job is. Your job is right. to score. You didn't score, and and if you had scored, you would have made it better and easier for all the team and helped the team. Right. Like I've got I've got teammates out there having to block one timers and, and that, and and if I would have, you know, they wouldn't have to do that. So, you know, that's one thing. And and with golf, it's it, it's how can I prepare myself and it's more mentally with golf. It's like, you know, get behind the ball, stay behind the ball. And, and when you, you hit that first shot and you pull it left into the trees off the tee, it's just like, man, like, are you that stupid? Get behind the ball and stay behind the ball. And, and but that's, what's so great about golf is that you, you, you can tell yourself all you want, but the, there's the correlation between your brain and your body sometimes just isn't in sync. Yeah, and it's so, like you said, you, and, and I think this is the allure for, I know the guys on tour that, you know, you just don't, you, we're all renting the game. You know, we're rented for a little <laughs> bit, and then all of a sudden we don't rent it anymore, and it's gone, and it's um, and it, and it it's fickle like that. You know, it's uh, it's crazy. Um, right. And the, well, the, and the, the other point is, is the physical part of the game is, you know, in hockey, I'd go out and I'd just shoot pucks and shoot pucks, and I hit ball after ball on the range. But I, I completely simplified golf to hockey, and so I said, "Well, what do you do when you shoot? Well, you take it back and you take it through, you know." And there's timing involved with snapping your wrists and whatnot. And I never got technical with my golf swing ever. All my only thought in golf is take it back and take it through. I don't go, where's my elbow? I don't say holding the tray or yep. at all. I go, I turn your left shoulder under your chin, get it back, and then take it through with speed. And, yeah. and that's, that, I, I tried to simplify the game as much as I could right there. Oh, my gosh. If we could tell, if I could give anyone a tip, I mean, it's that because you pick up these magazines and you look at the Golf Channel and it's oh, so boy. complicated. And, like, I don't even want to play thinking like that. Oh, it's absolutely, and I, you know, I, I'm I'm very good friends with Hank Haney, and and uh, you know I watch him uh, down at our club, our Discovery clubs around the country, and and he's got these guys on the range, and he's he's trying to help them become better players, and and I look and I'm like, oh my God, I, I you know. I, I know the game and I don't understand what he's saying. Oh, I know. Holly. Uh, I, I can't at even him imagine my... these guys who don't even know how to play. If how do they understand? Right, I'm I'm looking at him and like, please don't come down and talk to me because I, I I got enough in this empty head of mine. I don't I don't need it. Um, that's so good, Holly. What would you say your greatest golf or sports memory is or favorite that you could share with us? I mean, and I do realize I told you I just watched you score the the winning goal for the cup for the Dallas Stars. <laughs> well, those are uh, you know I always say my first goal ever is is the greatest because you know my first shift ever, you know, I can say, you know what, I did it. I made it. And I played in the, in the NHL and, you know, to have all the success you do, it's like crazy. Um, but, you know, I, obviously I think uh, winning the two Stanley's cups and scoring in triple overtime to win the cup is, is, uh, is fabulous. And, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to have eight holes in ones, uh, which are, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything better than, than uh, standing up on a par three and your ball goes in the hole. And, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to have eight of them. So, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty cool stuff. Okay, so that'll do it for the Brett Hall segment. Man, I so appreciate Brett joining us. That'll wrap up the On the Range segment. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. And come back for more on the front nine. Quick note, we just got a call from our friend Joe Sheezer at USA Mortgage. He said the rates are still below 4%, and if you mention Golf with Jay Delsing, he'll give you a discount on your closing costs. Please call him today at 
800-800-2015. Do you folks know about a family-owned and operated jewelry business that's been in the St. Louis area since 1946? If you haven't heard the name Sutley before, well, you have now. They are the premier Hearts on Fire dealer in the metropolitan region and have been for more than 21 years. What's a Hearts on Fire diamond, you ask? It is the world's most perfectly cut diamond. The Sutleys are knowledgeable and passionate about your jewelry needs and are open six days a week. They will treat you like family and want to understand your wishes and desires. Their business thrives on developing personal relationships with you. Sully's also strive to stay on top of the latest trends in fashion with amazing selection of designer jewelry from famous designers like Lagos, Zengani, Simon G., just to name a few. It's all done at Sutley's. Sully's is on the cutting edge of the diamond business, featuring the lab-grown diamonds that can cost 30 to 40% less than a mined diamond. Whether it's a hearts on fire, designer or custom jewelry, or even the new and innovative lab-grown diamonds, let Sutley Jewelers take care of all your jewelry needs. I have known this family for 45 years. Go in and see Gary. Ask for Gus. Ask for Laura. It's a family business, and they are terrific people. They're located in the Lamp and Lantern Village on Clayton Road, just west of Highway 141 in Town & Country. You can also visit them at saettele.com. Doster, Olam, and Boyle, LLC, are a proud sponsor of Golf with Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN. The firm was started in January 2015 by Mike Doster, Jess Olam, and John Boyle, three veterans of the St. Louis real estate, banking, commercial, and corporate legal landscape. The firm was founded on the shared view that success should be measured by client and community satisfaction, not profits for partner. The firm's focus is on business, real estate, corporate, finance, and restructuring, and succession planning. Since its founding in 2015, Doster, Olam, and Boyle have been involved in real estate, business, and corporate transactions with a combined value in excess of over $1 billion. For decades, Doster, Olam, and Boyle lawyers have been recognized as leaders in their practice areas by their peers. Doster, Olam, and Boyle, LLC. Extraordinary talent, ordinary people. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. You're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. You can find Jay online at jdelsinggolf.com. Welcome back. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. Pearly is with me, and we are on the front nine. Uh, Pearl, we are going straight to the Tony La Russa interview. I love uh, this. Love yeah. this one. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, Hall of Famer Tony La Russa. Folks, enjoy this interview. You always seemed so prepared. Was that something that you learned um, as a player or coming up through the ranks? Could you just talk a little bit about that? Well, I was raised in the, uh, at that time, the Kansas City A's organization. You know, I signed in the early 60s and when they went to Oakland in 68. Soon thereafter, they won three championships in a row. So there was a real good development system there. And, uh, and you know, the preparation of them that <clears throat> you had to learn the basics and the way that you made them yours, you know, that they became part of your skills were that you just pounded, pounded, pounded. So, uh you know, I had a nice understanding that to take talent and make it a skill, you had to learn and and uh, prepare it. Uh, but it took out a whole new face as a manager because, uh, you know, I was not a good player. I hadn't managed very long, and I got the White Sox situation. And I realized that what I provided our club as a leader was way short compared to you know, they had legends of the American League when I started. You know, Sparky, Billy, Earl, Whitey, Gene. You know, uh, it, it goes on and on. Uh, or, uh, so preparation became some way to close the gap. And, uh, you know, we always prepared, man. The one thing that bothered me a little bit, what people talk about is preparing, but I think that you you got to distinguish that preparing is just studying for the test. The most important thing you do is taking the test. So we would take that preparation and then try to compete as hard and as well as we could. Well, and it really showed. I, I think, um, man, when you start thinking about the uh, the icons of the game that you, you know, when you were with that White Sox club, when when you were actually on the field and managing the White Sox, how much did you learn from those other managers and watching them manage against you and watching some of the strategies that they employed? Well, that's uh, that's the one best lesson I've ever heard and learned it from uh, George Kissel, the great mentor 
and coach with the St. Louis Cardinals my last year that I was kind of a player. I was a player coach in the Cardinal system. And so there in spring training, I learned from George that every game you play is the best learning experience. Just review afterwards what you learned about other teams, your team, yourself, and the game, how it should be played. So learning has always been something that's been critical and still is. So one of the nice things when I got into the big leagues as a young manager, there are guys like Sparky Anderson and Chuck Tanner and you know, Billy Martin, John Magner, that really uh, Dick Williams were really open to me. And I have, I was clueless, man. I was, I was coming from nowhere. And uh, they gave me the ABCs, and then over time I realized how lucky I was, and, and, and I realized that that learning process continues. You know, Tony, one of the things that when, when I play golf and, and I come right off the golf course and, um, and you're talking about learning and reviewing what happened, uh, man, there was this, this, I needed a down period of almost an hour or so to just decompress and try to figure out what the hell I just did. Sometimes really good, oftentimes really bad. And I watch you guys have to go right in front of the media right after the game. That's got to be brutally hard. Well, I think it's uh, it's probably unfair, and uh, and what happens is that everybody suffers. Uh, just like you say, you know, you come off the golf course and you've been competing. I mean, your emotions are raging. You know, your your head's flying all over the place, and you need a chance to back off. So, same thing when you when you manage. You know, you're competing out there against another team. You got the responsibility to put players in a position to, to succeed. So, the decompression is is it's not going to happen in 10 minutes, so you're forced to go there, no more than 10 minutes. So sure enough, what happens is that sometimes, you know, you give answers that are, you know, kind of curt. You know, you're really fighting to uh, say something that, that, that isn't, you know, uh, taken the wrong way by your team or by the other team, and it's just a real struggle. So I agree, man. Think of wait an hour. I think the, the, your answers would be better. The fans would enjoy it more. The media would enjoy it more. Yeah, I, I can just remember sometimes coming off the golf course and having my head just swimming because I'm like, I, if you'd have given me a million bucks, I could have never hit the ball over there, you know, and I just did it when I didn't want to and or when I wanted to, you know, and, and um, yeah, that's a tough part of, of what you guys do. Tony, amazing when I sit there and look at your career, I look at your stats, you're the third most winningest manager in baseball. I, I, I grew up in a baseball family and I learned the – you know, the book, and I learned to, the box scores. I learned, you know, just as a, as a fan would. Did you ever in your wildest dreams, I mean, 2,728 wins, you won three world championships, you were four-time manager of the year, five times you were runner-up manager of the year. I mean, how the hell did this evolve for you? Because, like you said, you, you weren't a great player, but you turned into such a great manager. I mean, it has to be a love for the game in there. Well, I think I was introduced to the game. I lived in Tampa, Florida, and that's a hotbed of baseball. Al Lopez, you know, the legendary catcher manager, was a was a hero in our area. My my, all my dad's mom's side, you know, they they loved the game. So I was raised in baseball, and then I you know had some ability, and I played in high school and signed the night I graduated. So you know, I had the dreams of being a star player. I just didn't make it. Uh, but I did play, you know, uh, I lasted 16 years uh, and had a lot of injuries early. And thinking back later, you know, I realized I had some toughness I didn't know I had. But I persevered a lot because I loved the game so much. I, I didn't want to, as long as I was, you know, making a decent living and playing respectably, I didn't want to just give it up. So uh, that, when I realized I wasn't going to make it, I started going to law school. And I got a degree. I was going to be a lawyer. Uh, I started managing just to get the the bug off my back. You know, my wife and I didn't have kids at the time. To to think that soon thereafter I got a big league job and, and lasted all those years was never, ever in the plan. And even when I first got that job, I knew I was definitely not qualified experience-wise. And uh, fortunately, I, I worked for great people. It was Bill Vick and then Jerry Reinstorf. I had Roland Heeman as a GM. And throughout my career, that was the key. I always said great owner, had great front office, and we always got players, and I survived. 
Oh, man, and players, Tony. Did you have some players in throughout <laughs> your career? Holy smokes. I, I don't even know where to start on the list and don't want to be disrespectful to anyone. Um, but, man, you had some unbelievable players. Yeah, you know what I do sometimes? I mean, I did it for years, and then I still do it from time to time, is, is I, I get my lineup card out, and, and I make out. I would start with a starting lineup, right? Well, right away when you make out a starting lineup, you realize you got to you got to make out the roster of 25 because, you know, I, I had as a as a young manager at Carlton Fisk, a great Hall of Famer. Well, you know, later on in uh, St. Louis, I had Yadi Molina, and then we had two other really good catchers, Mike Matheny and Terry Steinbeck, was in in uh, in Oakland. So. I've, I've gone, you know, first base is at Albert, is at McGuire. I mean, this is ridiculous. You start looking at it, you know, the the, the outfielders, uh, and and it, it it's really uh, it, to make the point. It, it, you know, if I put that roster out there of, you know, how we're two or three deep at, at every position, I'm talking about with great players. You see how fortunate, and uh, and you get to the pitchers, the same thing. You know, there's a, we've had Cy Young winners, we've had. Some really good relievers. You had a great reliever like Eckersley. So it's a, uh, I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches. And I say, I mean, I'm so lucky. It's, uh, I never take it for granted. I just, I just embrace it. Oh, man, what a roster that would be, and what a fun exercise. I would love to, to, uh, to, to read that. So Tony, what would you say amongst those great players? What is the single biggest trait that you noticed that? you could say all those great players have? Well, the ones that are great, at some point, they realize that that everybody, literally everybody that signs has talent. Now, some are more talented than others, but they realize that talent is just, let's just what gets you signed, that you've got to develop skills. And the key to that is understanding the basics, uh, really hammering them, working on them, uh, so that you become more skillful as a, whatever it is, as a pitcher, a defender, base runner, hitter. But you, 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 you really embrace the knowledge of how to pitch or play the game. You know, the great ones, they understand, you know, when you cut it back and you're down, it's really simple. Like tonight, I mean, I'm here in Boston, Yankees against Boston. I mean, with all of the other, you know, distractions or ex- it really is our team against their team is a score. So if you want, to be a great pitcher or player, you got to know that the priority is the competition and what you can contribute to it. And then you break down that, you know, if you're a position player, man, you know, you got to defend and run bases. You got to take that bats based on whether you start a rally or finish one. If you're a pitcher, you know, you've got to do this. So it's, it's, it, to me, it's, it's uh, getting really smart, dedicating yourself to learning your craft, you know, becoming a real craftsman uh, and, what you bottom line is you will see guys with less talent become much better player, more productive players have more championships than guys with more talent that never ever get you know are clueless about how hard they had to work and how much they had to learn. Yeah, it's about heart and grit, isn't it? Well, I, I think in the end, uh mentally and physically toughness mental and physical physical toughness uh is more important than, than talent. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Tony? Tiger Woods, I, I'm a competitive guy. I, I really am. I, I can't even hold a candle to this dude in, in just a competitive nature. He is a guy that doesn't give up on any play. He might have a a, a three-wood into a, a par four for par after hitting one out of bounds or something, and his he's got every ounce of focus and attention, and, you know, it could be a – a hundred foot putt for double bogey. And I just watched that. And as a player, I couldn't do that. I wanted to do it. I just couldn't do it at the level that he did it. And I, and I've never seen anybody like him. Is there anybody through the years that, that sticks out to you like that? I mean, I know Tiger's a generational athlete for our sport. Well, I mean, I, I actually, because of, you know, how I managed, as you said, you know, 33 years and, uh, was around not just our teammates, but watched guys on the other side. I've seen that greatness, you know, uh, you know, off enough. You know, golf is a is a one person sport, but you're playing against some great golfers. You know, in baseball, you got a team sport, so you've got greatness on both sides. 
that are either, you know, pitchers or position players. So uh, what Tiger has done, you know, I mean, Ricky Henderson is a base stealer, Albert Pools, you know, the Eckersley as a closer. You know, you talk about the great starters that we've had, you know, uh, Dave Stewart, Bob Welsh, Chris Carpenter, Daryl Kyle, Adam Wainwright. I mean, these guys have that same kind of, of intensity. But in the end, I think, you know, when I watch Tiger, uh, he's trying to win the tournament. And I know that, you know, the more successful you are and, and you don't have to worry about can you win enough to keep your card, you know, there's a certain luxury of that. But I, I, my, my point is what we try to teach each guy is if you want to be the most successful, you want to be the most selfish you can be, then you better hope you play on a team that wins and you better hope you contribute to it. So I, th- I think sometimes my dad always said, you know, the more distracted, complicated, confusing, simply keep it. It's it's what can you do to help win the game today? Whatever your responsibility is, be accountable for it. Man, I never get tired of listening to uh, Tony LaRusso talk. Well, that's going to wrap up the front nine. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. Come back, and we are going to the back nine. The 100,000-watt blowtorch for St. Louis sports, driven by Auto Centers Nissan, home of the 30-day return. WXOS and WXOS HD1, East St. Louis, 101 ESPN. This is the last of our series of with Cindy Vickers. This is the Leading Edge segment, and she is helping us lower our physical handicap. Cindy, good morning. Good morning, Jay. Man, I can't believe we've gone through these already, but let's do a brief recap. of. So we talked a little bit about strength and flexibility, speed and power, but mostly the, the message is they're all connected. You're not getting one without the other, are you? Yeah. Everything is connected. You have to work on everything. My biggest message is just don't be intimidated by any of it. You're not going to think about any of this when you actually go out on the golf course, but you've got to get your body prepared. So... And it's every, it's speed, it's strength, it's flexibility, it's um, unleashing power, it's uh, mobility, it's stability, it's all that stuff. You don't even have to know any of it. You just have to come right. in and we can work on all of it in baby steps. Yeah. But you've got a minimum of eight weeks that you need to train. And if you've got six months, man, you're just going to be a completely different golfer. Well, think about it, though. All of us golfers go and seek out information we get lessons we do we need they need to get in front of you as a as a expert here with their body i mean how about your credentials you're a, a personal trainer registered yoga teacher corrective exercise specialist and tpi performance institute instructor these guys were the first down this path they are awesome and the fact that you're certified in there can give our listeners all they need Thank you. And I love it. It's fascinating. It's true, though. Yeah. <laughs> TPI instructors, they're not walking around all over the place. And it's- the information is endless, and you just I have access to it all the time, and there's just endless articles and endless videos and all that stuff. So it's not like, again, so if you don't like what I say, don't shoot the messenger. I'm telling you what they say. This is not... I've got plenty of things that I say in the world, according to Cindy Vickers, and none of them (laughs) make any sense. But so when I speak about this, I'm just relating their information. Okay, give us one thing uh, we we wanted to talk a little bit. Give us the last thing that we want to talk about on our on our for this series that folks can take away. Okay, the last thing and the hardest thing. So we'll is. Basic as I can say is something called the kinematic sequence, and now a lot of people have heard about that. <clears throat> but it's probably the most, uh, you know, quarter, kind of like most recent discovery. It's not that recent, and it's about the sequence in which your body moves in your golf swing, and it's about acceleration and deceleration. I'm not going to go into all the science of it, but it is the most critical part of having a good golf swing. And good golf swing means accuracy. It means power. It means consistency. All the things that that. our folks want. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm taking this right out of a TPI book. So it is not about style. So if you are familiar with Jim Furyk, Ernie Els, who else am I going to say? Um, oh, Matthew Wolf is one of the wh- new studs that's come out. Yep. They all look really different, but every this is the one theme that's consistent among all the really good players, and I'm talking most about you know tour players. They all have this appropriate 
kinematic sequence. You cannot see it in a 2D video, by the way. You have to look at it at 3D. But even if you can't look at it, you can still train to get yourself there. And then if you ever have the opportunity to view it 3D, you can see that it's going well. But if you are real, you will be consistently bad right. <laughs> if it's wrong. Well, Cindy, one of the things is, and we got to tell, honestly, they're never going to probably get to that tour player level. But if you make strides and you just get better, you're not going to imagine how much better your golf game will be. And if you don't have it, what happens is you, you're... From the time, so you've set up, right, at golf. And first of all, even if you don't have um, enough flexibility and uh, and balance musculature in your lower body, even at a dress, you're already at a disadvantage. But if you move at all off of that sequence, right. then you're in a different place by the there's time no, you get back to th- hit the ball. There's no okay. question. So, again, according to TPI, this yep. is not me. And I'm going to actually read this. Great ball strikers begin by generating speed from their lower body and transferring that speed through their torso, then their arms, and that, and then into the club. Cindy, that's the that's the the grail right there. That is the grill. Yeah. So the way they describe it is, it's if your torso had the ability to like grab onto your pelvis and then your lead arm has the ability to grab onto your torso and then and then your hand or really the golf club grabs onto that lead arm so it accelerates but the but when you again it doesn't matter if you really don't get this but the power comes in the deceleration actually so your hips start this motion and your hips are the first thing to slow down whether you see it or not and that makes your torso grab it and it speeds up your torso then your torso slows down and your arm grabs the torso and, and Cindy that's the whip like effect of the end of the golf club yes. that's why we're creating so much speed at the end you could you can call this whatever you want but if you watch the whip and look at the way a whip moves that's what we're doing yes that's exactly what it yeah. is and so there's even like exercises we do in the gym that are we call them anti-rotational exercises and it's to really work on deceleration so we work on acceleration yep. and deceleration but bottom line is it this all boils down to getting this appropriate kinematic sequence and you know you know and it affects your mental game right the whole thing that's all connected i hope you enjoyed that series this was uh, the leading edge segment and our series was with cindy vickers um please reach out to her 314-323-2004 um and Thank you for helping us lower oh my gosh. our physical I handicap. I so appreciate you letting me um, just run my mouth on the show. It's been really, really fun. Thank you. After 25 years on the PGA Tour, Jay Delsing takes you behind the scenes from the eyes of a pro. Now back to more golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. The Back Nine is brought to you by St. Louis Bank. Welcome back. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. I got my buddy and caddy and friend, Pearly. With me and uh, Pearly, we gotta we gotta thank Whitmore for a, a great year. They were the title sponsor of this show, and uh, they were just fantastic. There's 90 holes of golf at Whitmore. You get access to the Links of Dardine, the um, uh, Golf Club of Wentzville, and the Missouri Bluffs. No card fees associated with that membership. Uh, what I mean, I don't know where to start. There's a f- phenomenal pool complex out there, 24-hour fitness, and they have. Tons and tons of options for the kids. They've got junior golf, junior tennis, swim teams, a kids club where they, you can drop your kids off. You can go have a glass of wine and maybe a uh, uh, dinner with your wife or girlfriend. You can go play golf. The kids are out hanging out with other kids. And then you got Bummer. And Bummer, he was not a very good host to me when we went out <laughs> and played our little exhibition. We were out in November. You guys got to set the date for that uh that rematch. Yeah, we'll have a nice little rematch, and Bummer was fantastic. And, and, and Bummer just loves what he's doing out there. And to see him interact with some of the young kids is just terrific. He's so perfect. if you've got any questions or anything like that, you got to see Bummer uh, in the golf shop. WhitmoreGolf.com. Uh, you're looking for a club and you're concerned about your family, uh, this is a great place to go. All right, so we are going to the Chris Carpenter interview right now, one of my favorites of the year. Man, I, I'm sitting here looking at your your stats, and um, and I got to tell you, one one of the things I'm a baseball junkie. I just love it, and and one of the things that comes to mind, uh, I think it was game 
man, was it game six against Texas? Right at the beginning of the game, that crazy play at first base. Yeah, that was game one. Was that game one? And um, I, I've got that picture of you with, I, I think you're kind of laying across first base. I think the ball's in your glove. There's a hand out there. And I, I mean, um, uh, one of the things, Carp, that, that um, comes to mind, and you've been compared to Bob Gibson with, with some of the, the way you competed. I, I felt like watching you on the mound, there was just a high level of compete or passion or, or, or whatever that I don't see that much in the game anymore. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's just the way that I was, I guess, raised or what's in my my my, my genes um, of the way that uh, I competed. But it also was a, a time where, you know, <clears throat> I got to a point in my career where the game was taken away from me with that first shoulder surgery. And uh, um, I got released by Toronto. This is before I signed with St. Louis. And, and I just uh, had a change in, in my mindset. And that was that I was going to make um, whatever time I had left to play every time I took the mound, the most important day. Um, and that, that was the most important start and the most important time for my team. Um, so I, I just, I think I took it to another level. Um, when you look at it today, I think there's been uh, some emotion taken out of it because they're trying to control all that too, right? Um, they're trying to, to not, I, I feel, and some guys not allow them to be themselves. And, and you know, guys, there's, there's no... Uh, thrown inside anymore there's no brushing guys back you throw a ball inside next you know benches are clearing and guys are fighting and you know i mean you can't even miss inside without you know guys dropping their bats going you know yelling at you um and back you know when i first came up that was part of the game man you took a big old swing i'm i'm firing it in there it was just a different game hard slides you know the collisions at home plate it was just it was different and it, and it, there's nothing wrong with that um it's just a, you know time and how the game changes throughout throughout time. Uh, it wasn't the same back in the '60s as it was when I played. So it's just the change and the evolution of the of the game of baseball, and and also the the evolution of of humans. I think that the culture is different now, and um, it's just the part of the game, part of the change. I, I was kind of taught that the game kind of the players kind of took care of all that themselves. You know, there was. Um there was ways to uh, to handle all that, to just kind of police it yourselves. But I think you made a great point, um, especially when I look at some of the young PGA Tour players and, and things like that. This It's a whole different world that we're living in. I really think, Carp, that the, that the, the guys that play on the tour now, they genuinely like each other at a different level than when I was playing. Are you, seeing, are you seeing that kind of in, in MLB yeah, as well? Yeah, I was going to say, like I, I say, say it now, there's – um, I, when I go in and, and, and work and see the guys, I'd never be able to play now. One, the, uh, there's the, the manager takes you out too soon. You're not allowed to pitch long enough. <laughs> so I, that would have pissed you off a little bit, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I would have been upset about that. But the second thing is, is if you watch a game now, I mean, it's constant, like the opponents, meaning like a guy gets on first base or a guy gets on second base or before the game or whatever it is. I mean, we're on the field and, and, and they're laughing and joking around. And, uh, you know, I, if, if I give up a double and the guy gets to second base and a run scores and my second baseman's joking around with the guy that just hit a double off me, I mean, we're going to have an issue. And that, that the game has just changed that way. Um, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of um, interaction between, I mean, between opponents. And, and, you know, again, what I was taught when I came up, and, the, and you didn't speak to your opponent because that gave you an edge. As long as they didn't know what you were like on the field in between the lines and how you competed. You didn't, you didn't compete. I mean, you didn't speak to them. You didn't interact with them. You were going out to, to, to beat them. And it was important. Um, and you know, off the field, that's a different story. You can go golf or do whatever you want, but when you cross those lines, it's a different level of, of competitiveness. And, and you just don't see that. You see a lot of interaction, a lot of laughter, a lot of guys having fun. And again, it's just a different, uh, time. It's a different evolution of the of the game of baseball. A lot of these guys do know each other, right? They've either gone to college or played on these junior teams or travel leagues around the country. They go to these showcase things now that are bigger. Um, so they all kind of grow up together and know one another. And it's just a different time, man. Yeah, it's interesting, Carp, because if I was going to play in the last group on Sunday with you, I was not going out to dinner with you Saturday night. 
no chance. Not a chance. Nor am I going to communicate with you throughout the game. <laughs> no, it was it was that's just kind of the way it was. But I see these guys now, and I don't know if there's a social media component. There's all sorts of different. Uh, but uh, you're right; it's changed now. In your opinion, better, worse? Does it matter? I don't think it matters. You know, I used to sit and listen to one guy that I love. Listen to talk was Red Shandies, and he he talked you know about he he was in the clubhouse and and around us you know, all the way up until he passed away. And and he never complained about changes of the game. Uh, and, of course, you know, he's back riding trains and, and things like that. It was a totally different game when, when he, he played. But um, it's just an evolution of, again, uh, the game and an evolution of, of just the human being and the culture of, of our world. Um, so you either can have an opinion, you know, which I do. There's things that I like and I dislike, but – you can't you can't hate the game. You gotta you gotta enjoy the where it's going and, and and what it looks like because it's still a beautiful game, just like golf and just like any anything else. You know, you look at hockey or or football and the the rules are taken into football. The rules are taken into hockey to try to eliminate some of that super physical stuff and all the other. You know, it's just the whole world's changing and that's just the way it is. Yeah, it's it's really true. What a great time of year! I I always love carp when the Masters comes around because now you know it's the first major. To me, it signifies like baseball season started and playoff hockey. I mean, I, I, I can't get enough of all that. It's so funny because I just said that um, when it happened, like the Masters was coming up and I was telling my girlfriend, I was like, man, it's like this is like the, my favorite week of the year. And yeah. I, no joke. I like it's so funny that you said that. I was like my favorite week of the year because here in New Hampshire, the, you know, the flowers and leaves are starting to come out. We're starting to get into spring. Um, you, you got the Masters going on. It's all super nice. It's the first, you know, big big tournament of the year. And then my favorite is the the, the playoff hockey that's going on. Baseball season has started here a week or so into the into the season for that. And just the whole sport and time of year is just uh, is awesome. How did you uh, prep mentally for a game? And and um, was that the most important thing for you? Was your mind and not necessarily your stuff that day? Absolutely. Uh, no question about it. And, and I prepared for it with experience and, and, uh, and learning myself and learn how to do it. It's interesting that you, you said that because that was something that I shared with the guys in spring training this year when I was down there is people talk about, and you've probably heard it and, and I'm sure, uh, the audience has heard this is that yeah, the, the saying that you can't just flip, flip the switch when you want, um, and turn it on when you want and turn it off when you want. And that, I think that's a false statement. I think that's when you get to the level of, of what we did, you have to be really good at that. Um, so you turn it on for a pitch, and, you, and in between pitches, you turn it off and turn it on and turn it off and turn it on and turn it off because that's, if you, like you said, try to stay focused. If I try to stay locked in for two and a half hours um, constantly, you you're, you got no chance. You, you as a golfer or anyone else that's playing golf, at, you know, five hours, of, you just can't do it. But to turn it on each and every shot, you know, being able to come up and, and, and take that, <clears throat> that preparation and the, the however long couple minutes or a minute that it takes to hit that shot and then let it go as you walk up to your next and then turn it back on to your next. That's, that's the key to, to being successful at, at the level that we played at. Yeah. Um, and I prepared by practicing that. You have to practice to, to do that um, just like you do your golf swing, just like I do on the mound to, to make pitches. Uh, in the gym, all that other stuff. You have to practice that mental mental mindset to to be able to eliminate the distraction, focus on what you need to do, eliminate the distraction, then focus back on what you need to do. And um, it's important to, to be successful at our level to do that. You had a thing from our, our, our good friend Chris Smith. Smitty used to talk about how you'd say eliminate the garbage. And yeah. one, of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you as well the adversity, you know, I had to prepare myself for lousy bounces, for great putts that didn't go in, and, and, and also by great play from other people, you know, because yep. I had zero control of all that stuff once the ball left my club. How did you deal with, you know, a, a pop fly that doesn't get caught, some of the fundamental, you know, a, a, a cutoff man doesn't get hit? All that stuff affects the game and eventually whether you get an L or a W hung on you. Yeah, and, and again, you exactly you, you said it perfectly. I can't control any of that, and I learned over time and experience when I was early on in my career. I let that stuff bother me, um, and then it ultimately kept me from being able to do my job the best that I can that night. Um, so over time, I learned that uh, 
I can only control what I can control, and that's my job, the way that I pitch, executing pitches, and the best of my ability. And to do that, um, I need to eliminate all the other stuff. My guys aren't out there not trying to catch the ball. My guys aren't out there not trying to hit the cutoff. Man, they're trying as hard as I can or as hard as I am uh, that night. So I got to just go and, and do my, my job. I can't control what, what inning the, the manager comes and gets me. That's his decision. Um, he needs to answer those questions if, from, from the media after the game, not me. My job is to take the ball as long as I could um, until the manager came and got it and did the best job of my ability to, to execute pitches. And it, it's difficult, man. Again, it's, it takes practice to get there. Um, you know, as you know, as a golfer, to, to go walk 18 holes and, and play for five hours with all kinds of, like you said, bounces and other things going on, um, you, you better be really, really good at it <laughs> to eliminate that stuff. And just focus on the next, the next uh, pitch or the next next shot, or you're not going to be very successful. It's just a process, and you know if you stick to that process, ultimately in the end, because your talent, your talent's going to bring you as far as you can go. And if we're good enough, we're going to win. Love that interview, man. You can still hear his passion, his voice. Pearly, that's going to wrap up the back nine. Uh, this is golf with Jay Delson. Come back. We've got our the best of this is the best of show, and we have our favorite whack and chase. I want to thank Whitmore Country Club for sponsoring my show, Golf with Jay Delsing. There's 90 holes of golf at Whitmore. If you join out at Whitmore, you get privileges at the Missouri Bluffs, the Links of Dardeen, Golf Club of Wentzville, and all the cart fees are included in that membership. There's no food and beverage minimums and no assessments ever. They've got a great 24-hour fitness center, a large pool complex, three tennis courts, a year-round social calendar that is rocking out at Whitmore. There's kids' clubs, junior golf, junior tennis, swim team available for your children. This is a family-friendly atmosphere, a wonderful staff, and you've got to go to the golf shop and visit my friend, Bummer. He is an absolute treat. Don't forget about the golf leagues, their skin games, members' tournaments. Bummer and the staff out at Whitmore are continually running cool and fun golf events for you and your family. Visit their website at whitmoregolf.com. Urban Chestnut Brewing Company is proud to be an official sponsor of 101 ESPN's newest show, Golf with our friend Jay Delsing. Just like Jay, Urban Chestnut is born right here in St. Louis. With three local brewing and restaurant locations, you won't travel far to sample straight from the source. If you're heading out to the links this weekend or if you're just in the mood for a classic German-style beer, grab a four-pack of our fresh, refreshing Zwickel Bavarian Lager wherever craft beers are sold. Urban Chestnut Brewing Company, St. Louis, Missouri. Prost! Are the words community, trust, and civic pride important to you? How important to you are those words when choosing who you'd like to do business with? If you're like me, then they're very important. Enter St. Louis Bank. These key words are part of the cornerstone on which St. Louis Bank was founded. This bank is locally owned, and these guys live in our community. Did you know there's a new group of leaders at St. Louis Bank? This new group has doubled down on their commitment to St. Louis, being more involved and getting to know any like-minded person that shares these same values. St. Louis Bank wants to build something big together. When it comes to trust and honesty, don't take my word for it. You'll have to see for yourself. Look for the new locations in Edwardsville opening March 2020 and one at Highway 40 in Hanley coming April of 2020. You can call them at 314-851-6200. Reach them at stlouisbank.com or stop by their current location on South Outer 40 in town and country. And remember, St. Louis Bank wants to move your business forward together. It's time for the 19th hole on Golf with Jay Delsing. Welcome back. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. i got Pearly here with me. And Pearly, a fine drive with Jay, sponsored by the uh, Dean Team Automotive Group. Uh, great partner of the show. Um... We're not going to talk about my driving in here. We're going to talk about their cars. You need a car, any vehicle. These guys have it. You need a used vehicle. They have over a thousand used vehicles, and some dealers will say, "Oh man, we have any sort of car you need." These guys have any sort of car you need. They also have customized golf carts. We've seen some pretty cool ones mm, in our day. Absolutely. And uh, these guys make them street legal. There's music. There's all sorts of. Uh, uh, options there. So um, uh, you need a golf cart. 
the Dean team can definitely help you out. Um, the Dean team auto sports though, a uh, lot is their, the, the jewel in their crown. I mean, they have got over $10 million worth of vehicles on this lot and fancy car, Lamborghinis, uh, Rolls Royces, Mercedes, uh, Bugattis. They've got all sorts of the coolest cars. They've got a, a Porsche 918 Spider there for costs $1.5 million. All their dealerships are on Manchester Road. There's five of them. They're opening a brand new Volvo store uh, in uh, Maplewood. And if you need a vehicle, tell me you heard it on uh, Golf with Jay Delsing, and those guys will hook you up. And I bought a used car. It wasn't a used Spider. No. It was not. She thinks it is, though. Yeah. So I bought it for my daughter, Joe, and she loves it. And Colin and Brent were fantastic. So um, go to Dean Team. Uh, automotivesports.com and uh, tell them Jay Delsing sent you. Get a new car. All right, let's go to this episode of Whack and Chase. Here's Joe. Glad to join you guys. I have a serious question for you. Where are you from first, Joe, and then tell us what your question is. Uh, Right here in St. Louis. I've been playing golf for 50 years and all of a sudden I have a terrible affliction in my game. Uh-oh. What is it? What is oh, it, It sounds like you need an ointment or something. <laughs> I've seen doctors and psychiatrists and bartenders, and uh, you guys are my last hope. That, that, you're, you're in desperate straits. There's no question well, there. Well, I personally like the way you've run through the trained professionals. You know, doctors, uh-huh. psychiatrists. And I like to know where we stand. And bartenders. But yeah, that's very good. Very good. I, I've tried everything. I've been playing for 50 years. And all of a sudden, about 15 years ago, I acquired a serious affliction, and um, I I can't stop it. I got all the way down to about a six or seven handicap, and now I'm up to 12. And it all happened on one day, 15 years ago, and I was standing on the uh, on the fringe trying to do a little chip shot, and uh, an attorney behind me hit into me. And I bladed the ball across the green. <laughs> it was Did you the sue? Worst feeling. Did you sue? It, well, it was the worst feeling in my whole life. I almost killed a guy on the next hole that was trying to go down the fairway. And um, this attorney came up and he apologized to me. And I looked at him closely and I realized it was um, my ex-wife's divorce attorney. <laughs> What's the statute of limitations on that? Because I think you got a case. I don't. <laughs> I would like to sue him, but he's out of practice right now <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> After all the money he made off of me, he retired, bought a golf course in the Bahamas. <laughs> this guy absolutely killed me. And ever since then, every time I'm trying to chip the ball from – five or six feet off the green. I bladed across the green thinking that there's an attorney on the next pole <laughs> that's going to scream, not for, but I object. <laughs> <laughs> this guy killed my game. He killed me. He ruined my life. And now I'm a 12 handicap. <laughs> I'm seeking professional help. (laughs) Been through rehab twice. (laughs) And nothing seems to cure me. Can you guys please help me? My headphones went out. Wait a second right now. We got technical difficulties. Uh, We're good. So, Joe, we had some technical difficulties. But, wow, right in the middle of your complete (laughs) call out of desperation, the, the confidence so, you have in us is way overfounded. So the first thing I need to ask you, are you up to date on your alimony payments? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I'm behind on my dues. As you already know. <laughs> I wanted to pay the attorney, hoping that I would get my stroke back. <laughs> Oh man, I um, well somehow you have a good sense of humor about it, but I, I'm pretty sure it's far deeper than a mechanical issue. I mean this this goes beyond the emotional side. This is right down in the pit of your soul. Yeah, is your ex-wife still alive? I hope not. <laughs>
and the attorney's dead, too. <laughs> I think that's the best we can hope for. <laughs> what What do you think would make you feel better, Joe? Well, first, as Shakespeare said, we kill all the attorneys. <laughs> okay. Second of all, Jay and John, you got to help me stop yipping the ball across the green. Every time I draw back the club, I'm waiting for an attorney to yell, four, and then I blade it across the green. Do I wear earmuffs? Do I um, start putting from the rough? What do I need to do to stop yipping the ball across the green? I think you should only wear the earmuffs in July and August. You know, just to make sure you're sweating a little bit with no, the, if the, if the, if you're really concerned, if it's really happening, what you're doing it's, is what do you mean? It's really happening. This poor guy's bearing his soul on radio here. It's really happening. Well, it's re- oh, okay, the so, worst things ever happened to me. You talk about what's the name of your show? Dump and chase. <laughs> Whack and chase. Whack and Whack chase. And Whack and chase. Whack and chase. That's what I did when I was single. Now that I'm being married. <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> I can't even breathe over here. Oh, man. Uh, okay, we need so, to give him a different thought, though. I mean, this is yeah. seriously, seriously a psychology type of thing. So he's got that possibility of something popping in his head. As we know, you can only think of one thing at a time. Right. So what should right. he be thinking? What should, when he gets up over every chip, knowing what's coming, right, in this, 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 Years of alimony and, and <laughs> hatred and 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 hurt and pain bitterness and, and, and resentment bitterness and resentment one of the all time great lines. What's the line, Joe? We got to come up and you can help us. What's the line that you would rather replace? Oh God, where's the where's the attorney type of thing? What's the line that you should replace in your head that would be, be synonymous with a smooth, flowy, solid chip? Um, if my opponent would say. That's good, Joe. Pick it up. <laughs> well, you know, one problem we've got here, obviously, you went from a 6 to a 12. That means you're getting six more shots and you still can hit the golf ball. So most likely, they're not going to give you any uh, any break on that. You're, they're not liking you as, at a 12, is my guess. So, Joe, does does this thing come into play when you're in the rough or in a tight lie or both? Or just when it matters? <laughs> It happens every single hole. If Uh-oh. I miss the green, I, I roll off into the rough. I have to pull out a wedge, and I have to lob this thing up there. And I'm looking over my shoulder, waiting for the judge to say, uh, answer the question, please. <laughs> <laughs> You're behind on child support. I find you guilty. Well, and I, then I blade it across the green. I think I think something. Jay, how does this sound? Um I forgive you. Wow. Wow. I mean that's wow. a, Joe, could you do that? Are you are you at the point in your life where you could say I forgive you? Uh no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. <laughs> uh, okay, in that, that case, let's get a new wedge. Okay, I'm just going to keep I think it's deeper than that. Come on, let's come up with a line. So that, that line's not going to work. What's a line that will replace that other automatic response in his head? Well, the thought the thought is what's, what what you're talking about. We've, we've done this before with the mental side of the game and, and everything. We've got to start thinking about where you want the ball to go and not how. And the fact where you're, you're kind of – thinking this this whole thing is going to come in and you have like a flinch motion we've we've got to try i don't think so jay you, you said it before we've got years we have years of bitterness yeah. and resentment here we have yeah. to come up what do you with think some, of bowling well no, i think we yeah. got to come up with some some line that joe you know i i i i, I hate you and i'll never forgive you and then he hits a chip yeah okay right. yeah. Let, instead of the forgiveness thing let's or, just go or, with, hey 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 buddy i'm out of money I'm out of money. I'm out of money. I like that. I think that fits. How about that? I think that fits. You've got all my money. I like that better. I like that better. You took my money. Please take my golf club. (laughs) End my misery. You've got my money. You own me, and then hit the chip. I think that's what you should do. Let's let's. I think there's a little pace to that. You got my money. Hit the chip. uh, Hit the chip. And now, Joe, this is how we end all of our whack and chase segments. All right. If we help you. 
tell everyone you know. Send them Christmas, put it in your Christmas card, tell everyone you know. If you still uh, skull this ball across the green, tell them we never met. All right, I promise. I hope the next time I skull the ball across the green, it hits an attorney right in the head. I do, too. Come on now, you got your new line. You got your new line. Get up there. You got all my money. You get up there. You ready to hit that chip? You got all my money. Know what chip you want to hit, like Jay said. And then as you're swinging the chip, you got all my money. And then just live with it. See, got all my money. Let us, what, let us know <laughs> how Sounds that like works a country for you, song. It's a great country right. song. There's a rhythm to it. Joe, thanks for calling in. Thanks for the call, well, Joe. thank you very much, guys. And absolutely, you've been no help at all. <laughs> thanks, Joe. Well, Pearl, that's the best of show. Happy New Year to you. Thank you for doing 52 shows. Wow. We both have faces for radio, which is we're right where and we attitudes. Need, we're right we're right where we need to be. Um, had a blast. It was really fun. Um, Come a long way in a year. Come yeah, a long way. Yeah, hopefully um, we're um, just the beginning, baby. Yeah, that's the that's that, there's, yeah, a, there's sure a lot of things I was just <laughs> going to say there. I appreciate you jumping in there. But, um, me, thanks so much. 52 uh, of these Golf with Jay Delsing shows under your belt. Happy New Year, St. Louis, and hit them straight. Big 2020. That was Golf with Jay Delsing, brought to you by Whitmore Country Club. Tune in next Sunday for more from Jay, John, and the other pros and experts from the golf world. In the meantime, you can find all of Jay's shows at 101ESPN.com, as well as at jdelsinggolf.com. Peloton, let's go. This holiday... With the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes. From running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton. Motivation that moves you.